Justice too long delayed is justice denied. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice, and whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. Human progress never rolls in on wheels of inevitability. It comes through the tireless efforts of men willing to be co-workers with God. Jesus Christ was an extremist for love, truth, and goodness, and thereby rose above his environment. What kind of extremist? You know, we were we were thinking about the whole uh, window of Opportunities series, and it, it dawned on us that Dr. King had that iconic Birmingham prison shot where, you know, it, it captures the bars and he's, he's enclosed, and, and yet the vision, the vision to see beyond the confinement and to be able to confront the misery with, with a degree of hopefulness that ultimately had a tremendous impact, and it really did connect with this whole theme of windows of opportunity. We thought, wow, you know, just like Psalm 90, you know, Psalm 90 that we've been exploring, we're gonna look at in a few minutes as well, that has everything to do with disappointment because it was written, again, I think a lot of us are aware of this, but not everybody. Moses, you know, writes Psalm 90. It's the oldest of all the Psalms. He writes it out of the context of disappointment because the generation that he's been working with, he's come to the understanding they're not going to make it into the promised land. They're going to perish in the wilderness. And that colors all that he says. And we're going to look at that. We're going to sit with this, I hope, a little bit and not be in a hurry, but listening for the voice of the Lord to learn together and to think about our life and, and to look at this psalm and gain strength from it and, and hopefully some degree of of healthy sobriety as we think about our own life and what we're building for God and how we're affecting other people. Let me go ahead and pray, ask God's blessing over our time. And Lord, we just, you know, we come before you. Uh, we come asking for you to, to fill us. We, we don't deserve your love. We don't, we don't, we can't earn it. It's a gift. But we can open up our heart to you. We can open up the window of who we are to you. And I pray that we would, we would choose to do that. I know there's so many things calling to us. All these voices calling us this way and that way. But you call us to you. And you call us to follow in the way that you have for us. And your way is a way of life. It's a way of blessing. And I just thank you, Lord, that even when we're prone to wander from that way, you call us back home. You call us back to where we belong. And so I just pray that we would, we would come with laying down our defenses, open, opening up our hearts with listening ears, an open window for your spirit to flow through, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, Lord. Amen. New Year's Prayer, part two. You know, I want to I start by having us read Psalm 90. I'm going to read through verses 1 through 13. We spent a lot of time talking about the verses and unpacking them, so I'm not going to do that again. I, wanna, I have something else I'd like to get to, but I do want to read through it. So it says, Lord, through all the generations, Moses writes, you have been our home. 
And before the mountains were born, again, he's talking about the eternal nature of God. He says, before the mountains were born, you, before you gave birth to the earth and the world from the beginning to end, you are God. You turn people back to dust, saying, return to dust, you mortals. That's, that's, we often refer to this verse indirectly at funerals when we say dust to dust. For you, and he, now he contrasts God's eternal nature with our concept of time and how God is timeless. He says, he says, for you, a thousand years are like a passing day. They're as brief as just a few night hours. You sweep people away like dreams that disappear. They're like, they're like grass. It springs up in the morning, and then it, it, in the morning it blooms and it flourishes, but by evening it's just dried and withered. We wither beneath your anger. We are overwhelmed by your fury. We, you, you spread out our sins before you, our secret sins. You see them all. We live our lives beneath your wrath, ending our years with a groan. Then he makes this statement about life that we sat with a lot. Seventy years are given to us. Some, they, they even live to 80. But even the best years are filled with pain and trouble, and soon they disappear. We just, we fly away. So who can comprehend the power of your anger? Your wrath is as awesome as the fear, that, fear you deserve. Teach us then to realize the brevity of, our, of life so that we, we may grow in wisdom. The older version says, teach us to number our days so that we may know, have a heart of wisdom. And, oh, Lord, come back to us. Lord, come back. Don't abandon us. That's the cry here. How long will you delay? Take pity on your servants. Now, Moses understood. He understood in his heart that a generation was going to perish in the wilderness. That was something that is the backdrop. And again, we really can't appreciate what is being said here if we don't appreciate the context. And Moses understands that essentially this generation that he has had such a part in helping lead out of Egypt and out of the slavery that they were in, into a place of possibility and promise, that because of decisions they made right on the edge of the promised land, out of their unbelief and their unwillingness to trust God, Moses understood that they weren't going to go in. They were going to, the entire generation was going to spend its years in the wilderness wandering. And only Caleb and Joshua would, would make it in, two of his most trusted leaders who had exercised a degree of faith in the moment of decision. Now, again... As he's thinking about this, he's talking about, you can see it in his prayer here, that he's saying, this is a generation that's passing under your wrath, Lord. It, we've all been affected by your judgment. And, and he's, he's not really angry at God. He's not complaining and saying, God, you're unfair. You're being un, un, unkind to us. But one of the things he does, and you'll notice it, is he asks God to just have you know, pity on them and to bless them and he says, no, Lord, be merciful and gracious to us. Even, even in the midst of an irreversible reality that isn't good, would you bring your goodness and your mercy to us? It's, it's, I personally found it fascinating because it's like Moses saying, I know, Lord, that the die is cast. I get it. The, the concrete, it is, it's set. I understand that. And I know that the people brought it on themselves. There's no argument there. We were obstinate. We were stubborn. We were proud. We didn't believe in you, even after everything you did. At the same time, Lord, even so, based upon who I know you to be, who I've come to know you to be, I ask you to bless them, even as they walk through this, this judgment. And this is an amazing prayer. And then he takes it a step further, and he becomes daring in his request. And he does what we are invited to do, even when we have made mistakes. He asked God to do a few things for them. And I want to just quickly note those, these four things that he says here. Look at it. He says, he says, one, satisfy us each morning with your unfailing love. Look at verse 14. So we may sing for joy. Number two, 
to the end of our lives. Three, give us gladness in proportion to our former misery. And four, replace the evil years. Would you replace them with good years? And so what I'd like to do is, and we'll just kind of walk through each of these, these requests of Moses and, and interact with them. But, but just think about it. He's saying, Lord, in the middle of this bad situation, I want to ask you to satisfy us with, number one, your unfailing love. And I was thinking about this, the, the word there, satisfy. What do you say? It's a very interesting word. Uh, and I thought about all the things that we vainly pursue in this life on this side that, honestly, they can't satisfy us. But sometimes we get lost pursuing things that can't really deliver. You know, some things that we pursue in this life can give us, you know, bursts of pleasure. But the, the lasting satisfaction at the deepest level of who we are as a human being cannot be found in so many of the things that people pursue. That's why if you think about it, some of the people who have the most money or the most power or the most fame are some of the most miserable people ever whose life is peppered and shattered with relational discord and interpersonal issues that are just tragic at times because they're being played out in front of everybody. I say that because I think a lot of times we, we, we start pursuing things that we think will satisfy us, and we're all prone to do this. And Jesus, though, taught us that we are only to really find that true lasting satisfaction can really only be found in him, not in the money, not in the fame, not in knowledge, the acquisition of knowledge, not in the pursuit of pleasure or experience or excitement. Um, I know people who their real goal in life is to experience things. I know someone of means, I was talking to them, that they, they had the ability to do it. They said they're going to try before they're, you know, before they're dead, they said, to try to experience as many exciting venues and events as possible. And I, began, I challenged them in love about, you know, about what, if that's the sole pursuit of your life, is that really, how does that, how does that contrast with maybe what, what Jesus taught us and about what real satisfaction looks like? Because I go, that, if that's what you're pursuing, to find yourself, you won't find it there. Jesus reminds us that we're not going to, you know, find genuine, deep, eternal satisfaction in the, so many of the things that people pursue. I mean, people, we, we, people are looking for them in a number of different places. I mean, you know, whether it's, in, in sex, whether it's through pornography, whether it's through drugs, uh, people, alcohol, people, people pursue something to satisfy. And even though those things have elements, in relationships is a great example. People often feel like if I could just find the right person, then I will truly, truly be satisfied. You know, I was, I was thinking about this idea of satisfaction, and it reminded me that Moses was asking for. He said, Lord, fill us with this satisfaction, that satisfies with your love. But I was thinking about a conversation that Jesus had. I think it's one of the greatest conversations that's ever recorded that Jesus has. It's in John 4. It's not in your handout, but some of us may remember, remember it. I'm just going to kind of refer to it real quickly. But in John 4, remember Jesus is talking in the, in the fourth chapter of the fourth gospel, the fourth book of the New Testament, John's account of the life of Christ. There's this moment where he, he has this interaction with this woman who's called the Samaritan woman, a woman at the well. And so much of their conversation has to do with satisfaction, has to do with that, what, you, what, what we are really searching for. And there's this moment, if you recall, where Jesus, you know, he comes to her and he basically is by himself at this time. And he says, you know, would you, 
would you consider giving me some water, drawing some water out of the well? And as they're talking, they have this really amazing point of interaction because Jesus says to her, he says, it says, well, it says that soon a Samaritan woman came to the draw water and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. And he was alone at the time because his disciples had gone in the village to buy some food. And the woman was surprised. She said, because she knew that Jews did not have anything to do with Samaritans. And she said "Jesus to Jesus, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? And Jesus replied, well, if you only knew the gift, the gift that God has for you and who you're actually speaking to, you would ask me. And if you would ask me, I would give you living water. And she said, oh, what do you mean living water, right? <laughs> but, but, but she says, sir, you don't, you don't have a rope. You don't even have a bucket. How can you get this living water? And this well is really deep, she says. Where would you get this living water? And besides, you know, she starts talking about how, how the well is. She makes some religious kind of statements as well. And Jesus replies, no, 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 no. Anyone who drinks the wa- this water, they'll be thirsty again. That's not what I'm actually talking about. But those who drink the water that I will give will never be thirsty again. It becomes, and then look, think of what Jesus says. It becomes a fresh, um, a bubbling spring within you, ah, giving you eternal life, either flowing out into eternal life. And she says, oh, I would like that kind of water, right? <laughs> please, sir, this is, please, sir, give me this water. Where is it? Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I don't even have to come to this well anymore. And then Jesus says in this remarkable exchange, which we was, if we were spending a lot of time at it, we was, he says, well, why don't you go ahead and get your husband? And she says, well, I don't, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, I know. You had five of them. It's like, Whoa. And then in a very, very modern, I mean, it's like they leapfrog centuries here. He says, and the man you're with right now, he's not even your husband, is he? She goes, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. How do you know that about me? Right? And what he, and, and what he says is this. They start getting into the conversation more and more. He wasn't trying to get at her. He was trying to say, look, you've been trying to find things. Obviously, in her case, you've been trying to find it with men. And, and, and that's not where, in your relationship, that's not where it's going to, what you're looking for, it can't be, it's not, it's good as, it's not there. But I, I can give you something that will meet you at the deepest level. I can give you water that if you, if you drink it, you, your deepest yearnings of who you are and what you're looking for, it will, it will hit you right there. It was a powerful, powerful word. And I loved it because it's such a spectacular moment. It's a beautiful moment. It begins a transformation. And, you know, it's like what Augustine said. He said, you know, our, our soul is restless till it rests in you. In an era of dissatisfaction, fill my soul, Moses says. Satisfy me with your love, Lord. Remind me about the true gift of, what you, of who you are and what you want to bring to me. I was thinking about another psalm. This one's in Psalm 63. And I'm just going to read it, and I'll put the fifth verse up there. He said this, Oh, God, you are my God, David writes. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. There's that thirsting theme. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. At the time that David is writing the 63rd Psalm, he's running for his life in the wilderness, and he's being chased, and things don't look good for him. 
and he's thirsty, but he's even more thirsty for the presence of God. And he says, Lord, I've seen you in the sanctuary. I've gazed upon your power and your glory. Your unfailing love is better than life itself. How I praise you. In fact, he says, I will praise you as long as I live, lifting up my hands to you in prayer. And then he makes this statement, verse 5. He says, you satisfy me more than the richest feast. I love that. And I will praise you with songs of joy. You satisfy me more with the, with, than the richest feast. Think about it. Now, what is he saying? He's going, Lord, you know how good you are to me? You know how much I love to sing to you and praise you? He says, you know, it's like, it's like the best meal. And think about a meal when we just, there, be, there are moments where we're really, can, if we're hungry and we're just about to eat something, and it's like, oh, that is so good. And we just so enjoy that meal. It's like, that was rad. This is great, right? And we're just enjoying. And he's, David is saying, Lord, you are better to me. Your love is better to me than even the best meal that I could ever have. I Man, this is awesome. In a life that's filled with pain and sometimes loss and, and dissatisfaction, give me, Lord, true contentment. Let me find my contentment where? not in the pursuit of things that cannot satisfy me. They can thrill me. They can't satisfy me. Let me find my contentment in you. Teach me your ways, O oh God. Remind me of who I am made to know and love at my core of my being. Imagine that. You know, a love that will never fail us. I think anybody who lives long enough probably will experience at one time or another being failed or experiencing the failure of love on the part of someone that we feel like should have loved us better. I can't tell you how many times I talk to people who are still working through um, a parent who should have loved them better or working through a deep sense of betrayal because someone who had committed their love to them betrayed that love. M many times we, we know that is painful, a friend, a friend, hurts us in a way that nobody else could have because we trusted them. See, they, they, these things are real. Most of us have had love fail us a time or two. But I'll also point out this out too, is that every one of us here has also failed someone else in our love at some point. And again, not maybe in major ways, but I find myself periodically when I'm getting really angry or upset, remind myself, Lord, you know what? I, I, I have failed to love well. I have failed to, to more, more than times than not, uh, there are things that I, I should have said, I should have said, I didn't say them. Not just what I, what I did say, but what I, what I should have said, or an attitude I should have had, or, Lord, I should have seen this, so I wasn't looking for it because my eyes were on me. There, there's all, look, love failed. We fail, we, we need, we've, others fail us, but there is a love, and, and by the way, even the, even the most sweetest and committed love cannot carry us to, you know, past the boundary line that I call we call death. That at the end of the day, that even the most committed love, I was reading a man, um, a writing named Vance Havener. Vance Havener was an old author, an old country preacher who was Billy Graham's favorite preacher. And Billy Graham talks about Vance Havener, but Vance Havener wrote this book. He wrote a lot of different pithy little books that had sayings and devotionals, and he had like kind of a country kind of wisdom to him. But there was one book that he wrote that in particular affected me that I remember reading. It was called Though I Walked Through the Valley. And that entire book was basically like a journal of him walking through 
the loss of his longtime most best friend, his wife, and how he's in his 70s, and he's realizing that he can't have her anymore with him. And the entire lifetime, they've been together basically in their adulthood. And he says, now what am I going to do? I'm 72 years old, and she's gone. And one of the entries is called Gone. And he's like, and you can see him rallying himself because he's saying, you know, Lord, I've lost her, but I still have you. And one day I'll see her in some way on the other side, but between now and then, help me, Lord, to walk and to trust you, even though you're asking me to walk alone. Sometimes you, you ask us to walk alone in the dark. And this, this 70-year-old man, will you help me to walk alone? Now, it's, a power, it's very powerful. But I thought, you know, even that love, the love of God is greater even than the greatest human love. And it prevails. Now, but look what Moses says. Not only, Lord, would, you, would I ask you to satisfy us with your love. And again, what is the context? They've experienced a lot of disappointment. He says, but number two, look at this. Sing, help us, Lord, to sing joyfully to the end of our days. Now, think about that. By saying life to the end of our days, he's basically saying life has seasons, life has stages, life has a span. I don't know my span. I say this a lot because the truth is, I mean, Moses says, look, some of us will live to 70 by reason of strength, 80. Um, look, I don't, know the, I don't know my end day here. None of us do. Maybe 70, maybe 80, maybe beyond. I don't know. No one knows. That reality is to challenge us at times to think more clearly about the life we're living and about where we're going. So every now and then, it is good to think about it. And the Bible reminds us there is great wisdom to be found there. And yet at the same time, Moses says, look, uh, you know, I want to ask you, Lord, to help us, even though we're in a difficult place. And honestly, I know it's not changing. He doesn't say, Lord, will you, will you change your mind and let us all go into the promised land? He says, no, Lord, I know we're going to probably end our days here. I get it. But in the meantime, would you put a song of joy inside of us? And I thought, May we sing? And I thought, Lord, that is a great image. The Lord, can you hear me? The Lord wants us all to sing joyfully to the end of our days. Jesus said this in John 15. He said, he says, these things I've spoken to you, I've spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. Listen to me. I'm talking to you because I want, I want my joy to fill your life. That's what he's telling us. And I want your joy to be filled up. And, and then, of course, I think about that. And I said, wow, Lord, you, you do want us to know your joy in this life. And as Moses said, all the days of our life. And then, and then in Psalm 118, of course, we're reminded in verse 24, you know, re, to rejoice. This is the day the Lord has made. I will be glad and rejoice in it. And then, but notice, Moses says, Lord, help us to sing joyfully to the end of our days. So, by the way, do we realize that singing is not only something that joyful people do, it's, it's also, so not only is it a reflection of a joyful heart, because joyful people sing, but it's also a mechanism of joy. That when we choose to sing, it brings joy. And oftentimes we, we underestimate the power of what comes out of our words. There are, words have power. That's why the Bible says, own the words. Even watch how we speak about other people. Because it not only it does something to the person we're speaking to, but it does something inside of us in relation to that person. 
which is why we often say, when, when we say, I love you, I love you, just even out of, even out of a habit at some level, but if it if it's, has a sincerity to it, or even an attempt at sincerity, it tends to build that inside of us. That's one of the reasons why God invites us to praise him, because what we praise is enlarged inside of us. Singing also releases something in you and me. I, you know, singing, again, is one of the ways in which we can, like, like, you know, open up our heart to God. It's a way of opening up our window. I love it. Singing is probably my favorite way of praying. And I'm reminded the Lord doesn't really, you know, doesn't mind how we sing. He just, just invites us to sing and to sing. And, and, you know, the Bible says it's for a reason. The Bible says make a joyful noise unto the Lord. And singing is a way of opening up our heart to God. And I love singing. Sing, there's something about singing that brings joy out or, or reflects that joy. It's so funny. I, I've got one of my kids loves to sing in the shower. And I always crack up because I don't really ever hear him sing any other place. But there are times where it's just like singing for joy, right? There's so much sheer exuberance in it that it overwhelms the fact that, oh, it just sounds so bad. But there's so much <laughs> genuine joy in it that I find myself walking down the hall. Oh, there you Wow. OK. You know, I'm not going to say who they are. But I love it. And I always say, you know, that's life. That's life. I love that. And that's the part where the Lord wants. The Lord, listen to me. The Lord has a song for us to sing. He wants us to sing to him. He wants our life to be his song. You know, nature sings. I know a lot of you, some of you know, I love to go up in the mountains. I'm a city boy. Born in San Francisco. Raised in San Francisco. I was born on 47th Avenue. 2666, 47th Avenue. <laughs> I remember growing up running around the Great Highway as a boy and the zoo. Yeah, I used to play in the zoo a lot. That was a playground. I'm way off track right now, and I don't even know how to go, except to say, I don't even, I, I, you know, <laughs> I have totally forgot what I was talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Singing, mountains, there we go. It's all coming back. I'm a city boy. And I love, someone though in my 20s introduced me to backpacking. And they said, you just got to go up in the mountains. Now for me, I was like, what? You know, I grew up with streetcars in my front yard, you know? I went up there, I didn't know anything. I fell in love with it. Part of it had to do with just the intersection of my life where I was at. I was listening to God differently found it to be almost like a cathedral. Felt like the mountains, I got it. It was like a, a cathedral that sang forth the praise of God. All of a sudden, the Psalms came alive to me in ways they never did before. The sound of silence echoing the voice of the Lord. The mountains rise up and praise you. The trees clap their hands. The water sings your praise. I could, it was all there. And just listening to God for your life sort of became easy, easier. And I was just hearing nature singing his praise. And I thought, Lord, you made us to sing your praise. And I hear something in Moses' request about how we're to ask God to help us finish. Because he wants us to finish our life. Help us to end our days, but singing joyfully to you all the end, to the end of our days. So hear me out on this one. 
The Lord doesn't want us to spend our days bitter, angry, and resentful. We'll always have reasons. He doesn't want us to shrink our worldview. He wants us to enlarge it in a way that allows us to see things that he wants to do inside of us and around us and through us. The bottom line is this. God doesn't want us locked up in contempt or fear, but he wants to fill us, as he said, with his joy. Now, if he said that, then, then he has a song for us to sing. And Moses was saying, Lord, even in our difficult place, give us a song to sing. So let's watch, listen, those of us in the middle years, let's watch those middle years. Why? Because the middle years set the tone for the winter years. Those of us who are in our youthful, you know, youth, years of youth, watch those youthful patterns. Because patterns become habits. Habits, habits begin to create um, a way of, of, of living a life that if we're not careful, can really get us off course. People say, well, because the patterns set the course. And people say, well, you know, I'm young, I, got, I, I can make mistakes. It's true, it's true. The margin for error, assuming we have a longer life, is greater the younger we are. I get that. Now, one, we should always remember, resets are not guaranteed. But if they are, there is some truth that we can learn from our mistakes. But why not, why not have to make them in the first place? Why, why, why not choose the way of the Lord? Why not go God's way? His way is a way of life. Brings forth blessing. God can bring good out of anything, even our mistakes. He does it all the time. But he, he can really, he really would prefer us to avoid them, I mean, to avoid the things that we don't have to walk through. And that means learning how to live a life that we pay attention to things and we're not, we're not just casual. We're, we're looking at the way in which we're constructing and building and, and the choices we're making and, and, and the things that will either pull us towards God or away from God. Things that either shrink our soul or enlarge our soul. These are things. And if we're, if we're in our latter years, some of us are. Then remember, let's watch that. Watch this time because how we finish matters. I've known people who were better than me by far, who I greatly admired. And what happened was they didn't finish well. They got sloppy at the end. And it really hurt their legacy and the impact of their life was diminished because of the way in which they chose to finish. Finishing matters. May the Lord put a song in our heart to the end of our days. By his grace. Thirdly, Moses says, let's be, let's be given. This is a great request. Just look at it real quick, you guys. Let's be given gladness, Lord. Would you give us gladness in proportion to our former misery? Now, this is a really interesting request. He's basically saying, Lord, Lord, would you turn the, Lord, would you turn the, the, the tables on the pain? Would you balance the scales for us a bit here? Again, for a generation that had known bitter disappointment, and they had, they had been, remember, they started out enslaved. They get delivered out of Egypt. They're thinking, yes. And then they get to the place where they're supposed to step forward, and they fail. Their old mentality clicks back in. All of a sudden, they're, it's just a disaster. And it's, it's like now in the wilderness, they're suffering what amounts to a self-inflicted wound. And Moses says, Lord, would you give us the gift of gladness, something good to meet the pain and the disappointment that we brought on ourselves? 
because I know how you are. And then and he says, look at this. But he uses an interesting word here. And some of us may be able to relate to it because the word he selects is misery. But all the, word, you know, the way it's translated as misery. And mis- being miserable, you ever been, we ever been, we ever been when we're, you know, it's one thing to have an ache. It's another thing to be just miserable. Sometimes when we get a cold or a bad flu, it's like, man, oh, it's just, it's just awful, right? Our, your head hurts. We can't sleep. We got a sore throat. Swallowing is hard, or you know, it's hard to breathe. Sometimes we just feel, someone says, "How do you feel?" I feel awful. I feel miserable. You know, we can feel like we can feel like that relationally. We can feel like that emotionally, and it can even happen spiritually. And yet, the prayer that we are invited to make is that God would send, notice this, you guys, stay with me on it, proportional gladness. That's like, wow, Moses. He's saying, as bad as it's been, Lord, I'm just going to take a risk here. Would you take how bad it's been, the part that was done to us and the part that we did to ourselves, and would you take it and would you give us some gladness proportional to to the pain that we've just experienced? And I'm not saying because we deserve it. I'm just saying because that's who you are. I'm asking you for it. Great prayer. Great prayer. I was talking to someone a couple of days ago who spent the entire last year um, battling a devastating illness. And they were a, a young and vibrant person. And I watched them battle. And, many, and, 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 then, and now what happened was the, part of the reason we, we were having the conversation it was a bit of a a celebration moment because they, were, they had just cleared a hurdle and had been given this bill of health. The medication had stopped and all of a sudden, and I was listening to this person talk and it was like there was so much joy in her heart at this point and it was like there was this, this moment of breakthrough and what she was saying, it was, it's like a new, I feel like a new lease on life and everything just seems so special to me. I thought, that is, that is like, that is the way, that is so good, Lord. Would you, and so I hear Moses saying, saying, Lord, would you give us a new lease? In the, middle of the, in the middle of the mess, would you show up for us and do something special? And then and he closes it out by saying, Lord, would you, and I'm going to say it, would you replace the evil years with some good years? And it's almost like, wow, think about it. He's saying that some years are good, some years are not as good. I guess we can look back on life and say, that was a bad year, that was a good year, but I think most of the time we just look back and say, that year was kind of a mixed year. It had good and it had some bad, it had a lot of, you know what, I, here's the deal. He's saying, look, you know, I, would, you, would, you, would, you make, would you make this thing special for us? Why not? Why? And maybe that's what God's, at, God's inviting some of us to do, just like with Joseph. What Joseph could say to his brothers after he saw them, he says, you know what, you meant for evil, God used for good. God brought good from it, even though it was bad. And Maybe we, some of us need to ask him to make this new year a good year. It's not too late. Because you know, I was telling someone um, on my, I think I mentioned this a few weeks back, and I'm just, you know, sharing my own life, own life with God, but next to, I, I have an area in my garage where I do a little exercising, and on the, there's a whiteboard there, and periodically if something will come to my mind, I'll write something down. I think, I wrote down a theme for my year. Lord, would you make this my best year ever? I didn't mean by that, Anything other than, Lord, what I really meant was, may, the, may this be my best year with you that I've ever had. May I be a, a more faithful servant for you this year than I have ever been. And that doesn't mean anything more than what, it, what it's just meant to be. Would you help me 
to make this my best year yet for you. I think, I think the Lord invites us to ask that. We can, we can pine over what was. We can diminish the you know, ourselves because of self-inflicted wounds. We can sit with the disappointments and be bitter or despairing about how unfair it all is. Or we can say, Lord, I invite you into this situation and I pray that you would stir my heart to really focus on what truly matters and live for you where I am in this season of my life. Because it's a gift to be alive. And I'm so grateful for it. So I'm going to pray. We're going to have a time of giving. We'll close out with our final song, which talks about these themes. But Lord, we come before you. We invite you into our lives, into our situations, into the good and the bad of it all, Lord. But we pray that you would do amazing things in our heart this year. Teach us things, Lord. Some of us, this is a year for us to have tremendous relational breakthrough. Some of us, Lord, you're going you're gonna to bust us out of some habits that have really been hurting us. For some of us, Lord, this is a, a year where we're going to experience um, a degree of liberty based upon accountability that relates to certain habits we've acquired that are actually very damaging to us, and it's time to get real about getting better. So, Lord, wherever it is that you want us to go, a deepening place with you perhaps, a better understanding of how much we are loved and what that means, wherever it is, Lord, I pray that our hearts would be open to the window of opportunity that is before us. I pray for your blessing again over what we're about to close with. I thank you, Lord, for this good day. No matter what happens, it's a good day because we have you and the gift of this life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.